Nearly 68% of American adults receive their news from social media, which has led to more and more confirmation bias. Today on the LiveWire Politics podcast, we explore the idea of echo chambers in our social media. And welcome back to the LiveWire Politics podcast. This is David Stanky, and first and foremost, thank you, thank you for joining us today. You know, we took about a year off and coming back into the swing of things, I just can't tell you how excited and thrilled I am to be creating new content right now in the midst of all of the COVID madness. But I think that might have been the inspiration to get back into things. And, you know, this time around, we really wanted to do things right. So, you know, I switched over to a more sophisticated hosting platform. We're now on a half a dozen different podcast directories. And, you know, the whole goal is to, again, create an environment where the marketplace of ideas can can thrive and we can have civil discourse uh, always with a heavy level of respect for one another all in the effort to better understand the world around us so with that being said let's jump into the episode of echo chambers a social media crisis so what is an echo chamber well here's one definition an environment in which a person encounters only beliefs or opinions that coincide with their own, so that the existing views are reinforced and alternative ideas are not considered. You know, one of the main reasons I think we avoid political conversations is because growing up we were taught to avoid confrontational topics. They usually lead to unwanted disagreements, but it's really in those disagreements that we have come to challenge our own beliefs and even deepen our understanding of the world around us. And I know politics can be depressing and discouraging and you know it's often a breeding ground for apathy but you know there's so much that we can get out of these conversations if we would just allow ourselves to be open to what the opposing view has to say and realize that it is okay to evolve and change our ideas over time and I think it's fair to say right now in 2020 America there is a drastic level of division, both politically and even philosophically. And I would argue that social media is a major contributing factor. It was mentioned earlier that 68% of adults get their news from social media as a primary outlet. And while social media we know is a fantastic delivery system for content and news, it also leaves us vulnerable to confirmation bias. And you could just spend a few minutes online and know that every decision you make virtually is dictated by algorithms whether you're on facebook if you're shopping on amazon you're browsing on netflix or youtube these algorithms are embedded to create a personal online experience based on things that you view comment like or purchase everything you do online is dictated by an algorithm and that can help us if we want to reinforce certain behaviors but unfortunately, it doesn't leave us open to the opinions of others. And when I first came across the idea or concept of an echo chamber, I was actually watching a TED Talk years ago. And the talk was by a man named Adam Greenwood, who owned a technology firm. And he just did a fantastic job on really describing the psychological underpinnings on what creates an echo chamber. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Adam Greenwood. But it's not just the algorithms that are doing it. We ourselves are perpetuating it. Every time that we post to social media, a lot of us don't post for ourselves. We post for them. We post content that we want to see liked or shared or commented on. And we do that because we want validation. And, and that's, that's not a new thing. Human beings have often wanted 
validation. It's number three on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? After physiological and safety comes love and belonging. And every time that we get that virtual pat on the back, we get a little release of the chemical dopamine, which feels good. So if it feels good, then maybe we should do it more, right? Or maybe not, because if we just continue to create content and upload content that is not for us, but for them, all we're doing is perpetuating other people's echo chambers. But I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else. And when I was going through this process of, of writing this talk, I was starting to think, well, how do I want you, the audience, to feel about me as I deliver this? And I wanted you to think that I was articulate and intelligent. But I had to take a step back from that because TED is about ideas worth spreading. Profound words. And you know, I also have a confession to make. Even in preparing for this episode, I was asking myself, how will this be perceived? Will other people like it? Uh, are other people going to agree with it? And I had to get out of my own head and realize I just had to ask myself if someone else would find value in what I'm doing. And if the answer is yes, then let the chips fall where they may. Because this is something we are all susceptible to. So I want to transition now into maybe the why. How did this become? When did this happen? What's one possible explanation? And if we go back to 1996, the federal government deregulated the television and communications industry. And really at that point, you know, we saw a, a rise to cable news networks and talk radio shows, uh, a rise in the internet and social media, all of which has, has given us as a consumer choices, choices of how we're going to digest our news, what opinions matter most, and ultimately how we're going to make sense of the world around us. So while I was doing some research for this episode, I wanted to find a news item that was interpreted in multiple different ways. And I went back to the 2012 jobs numbers in July. Keep in mind, this is during the Obama administration. Uh, so news headline number one is from MSNBC. U.S. economy's job engine revs up in July. Next article is from Fox News. Wrong way growth. Jobless jumps in July as new hiring remains slow. And finally, from Reuters, job growth steps up, but jobless rate rises. So out of those three, I think you can look at the Reuters headline and say that's probably the most balanced and accurate. Now, when looking at the other two articles, they actually indicate the same information in all three, but it's the headline that has changed. So in this society and we're in now, where every information is easily digested in small sound bites, most people are looking at the headline and not the context of the actual article. All right, let's jump into a little bit of science. So researchers have actually put together uh, a few different studies, and one in particular, uh, they took a test group of a bunch of folks that would be considered mostly Republican and mostly Democrat. So basically on a scale of one to five, these would be fours. And they found that the Republicans showed more activity uh, linked to fear, risk, and reward. And they found that the Democrats uh, showed more activity in areas that processed emotions. They typically paid less attention to negative stimuli or threatening behavior and are more likely to understand what others might be thinking. Here's some thoughts from Jordan Peterson. 
political belief is determined in large part by temperament and personality, and that's very strongly biologically influenced. And so conservatives tend to be lower in openness, which is a trait associated with creativity, and higher in conscientiousness, which is a trait associated with industriousness and orderliness. They tend to make good managers and administrators and lawyers. They tend to make good conservative business types. That's, that's their forte. That's their niche. And that's a valid place to be and a valid thing to be. And, you know, conservatives aren't so good at being entrepreneurial and they're not so good at being artistic and creative. That's not their niche. That's more the niche of the liberal end of the spectrum. And as far as I'm concerned, for the political system to function properly, you need proper representation for all the temperamental types and they need to be engaged in dialogue. So I absolutely love that clip because it's the reason I even put this podcast together in the first place. There is a need in this country for environments where all ends of the spectrum are able to dialogue. In fact, they are required to dialogue because the system will break down unless there is proper discourse. If we all retreat to our various camps and we're only listening to information that reaffirms our beliefs, if we're only subjecting ourselves to concepts and ideas that we already believe in, we're only going to be left with a narrow or incomplete view of the world. You know, the term echo chamber means when you when you speak, it reverberates back to you. So you're not actually engaging with anyone of an opposing viewpoint, but only, again, revalidating your own opinions. So what on earth are we to do about it? Well, knowing what we know about algorithms and how our social media platforms work to deliver us information based on the things that we like, comment or share, uh, or engage with, uh, what we can do is confuse our newsfeed. And I do this all the time. I do it intentionally. I want the algorithms to break down and wonder who is this person and why on earth are they following or liking uh, comments from Fox News and MSNBC, from people like Rachel Maddow and Ben Shapiro, Thomas Sowell and Paul Krugman, Rand Paul and Bernie Sanders, and even Donald Trump and Barack Obama. If you are in one of these respected camps, I challenge you to go to your Instagram, go to your Twitter feed, go to your Facebook, and start following those of an opinion that you may not believe in. And even just doing that, that singular action will set off something in your mind that says, I'm going to make myself available to an opposing point of view. And, you know, for me personally, I mean, do I have political leanings? Absolutely. Absolutely. But do I challenge them on a continuous basis to make sure that the things that I believe in continue to hold weight and they continue to make sense? You know, when I I was in college, I switched my major twice and, you know, I switched it from business to political science, not only because I couldn't get out of intermediate and college algebra, but I really enjoyed the exchange of ideas and the understanding of of history and, and political philosophy. And I had one professor who, as part of his coursework, would have various different debates and we would pick a controversial topic. There would be a for or against group And we would write and defend it, and we would debate it. And we were not allowed to choose what side of the debate we were on. We were simply assigned it. And I can tell you that our grade was based on our ability to articulate the side that we were defending. And once the debate was over, our professor walked around the room and asked each one of us 
to state our opinion before the assignment and after. And I can't tell you how many people had changed their mind simply because they never took an honest look at the opposing point of view. And this even happened with myself. I was given the topic of whether or not we should privatize Social Security. And going into the assignment, I would have been in favor of privatizing Social Security. But going through the research and having to put together a solid argument opposing the privatization of Social Security, I became convinced. And to this day, if you asked me what we need to do to keep that program soluble, I would say make it means-tested and remove the cap. And I haven't referenced that information in eight years. But the only reason I remember is because my grade depended on it, so I had to get together a good argument. So I wanted to end this commentary with some final thoughts, and I thought no better than the late, great Christopher Hitchens to summarize in less than one minute hundreds and hundreds of pages of classical literature. A short refresher course in the classic texts on this matter, which are John Milton's Areopagitica, Areopagitica being the great hill of Athens for discussion and free expression, um, Thomas Paine's introduction to the Age of Reason, and I would say uh, John Stuart Mill's essay on liberty, in which it is variously said, I'll, I'll be very daring and summarize all three of these great gentlemen of the great tradition of especially English liberty, um, in one go. What they say is, it's not just the right of the person who speaks to be heard. It is the right of everyone in the audience to listen and to hear. And every time you silence somebody, you make yourself a prisoner of your own action because you deny yourself the right to hear something. In other words, your own right to hear and be exposed is as much involved in all these cases as is the right of the other to voice his or her view. You know, freedom of expression is one of the greatest gifts that we have living in a free and open society. And even if you are convinced or in a room with people that are fully convinced about a particular subject, and there is one person that raises a question or a doubt, we have an obligation to listen. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time, 12 Angry Men. And early on in the movie, all the jurors get together and they cast a vote. And 11 out of 12 vote guilty to send a young man to prison. And Henry Fonda's character is the only one that raises his hand, or doesn't raise his hand, rather, to say not guilty. And when he's pressed on it from some of the other jurors, they ask him, do you think he's innocent? And Fonda's character responds by saying, I don't know. But we were so quick to raise this vote, I think it's worth talking through. We're about to send this man to prison. And as the course of the movie goes on and they re-examine the evidence one piece at a time juror after juror after juror raises their hand for not guilty all because one person decided that they wanted to at least take a pause re-examine ask a question it's one of my favorite movies of all time if you haven't seen it it's amazing and that's the final thought for this episode Again, thank you so much for joining us today. New episodes are going to be in the works and on delivery very soon. Any topics, questions, comments that you have, please feel free to reach out to me at livewirepolitics.org. Uh, drop me a line, a comment. We really appreciate all of the engagement that we have on our social media platforms. Anytime that you can go on iTunes and subscribe and rate our podcast, it helps bump us up the uh, directory list. And I just, again, thank you so much. We appreciate all of the support and encouragement. 
Uh, with that, this is David Stanky with the Livewire Politics Podcast, signing off.